Welcome to AFL.com.au's latest special club-by-club edition during the shutdown period. We're looking at Sydney today, and joining me to chat about the Swans is Cal Toomey. How are you, Cal? Good, thank you, Mark, and hope you're going well too. Yeah, the Swans are an interesting case this year. I mean, they probably surprised a few in round one going over to Adelaide and, and taking the points, so looking forward to having a bit of a chat about them over the next 10 minutes. Yeah, it was an interesting one. They Obviously, a, a very close game with another side that's predicted to slide down the table in Adelaide. Um, they got the points, though, so should we heighten expectations after that round one win? I'm not sure. I mean, to be honest, I think a good year for the Swans is them challenging for the eight. I can't see them actually getting inside the, the finals this year on the back of last year. We know what a consistent and reliable club Sydney's been for a long time now, probably since the Paul Roos era, really, when they snagged that drought-breaking 2005 premiership. They've made the finals for the last you know, 10 years. 10 years ago was the last time they didn't make the finals in 2009 before they, they fell out of the race in 2019 and dropped to fourth bottom on the ladder. So last year was a, a real blip and a, and a dip for them. I think they'll get better this year, but I, I still can't see them actually getting into that top eight and, and breaking through for a finals win. So I think that you know, a good season for the Swans is somewhere around that 9, 10, 11 mark. And you know, if they're back a couple of rungs from that, that's probably about where I see them sitting anyway. So it's, it's, a, it's a young side. It's a youthful side. They've rejuvenated the list, and we'll talk about that over the next couple of minutes. But I think that if they can sit somewhere outside that top eight and compete with the better sides with maybe not getting the victories at the end of the day, then that's an overall a good year for a side in the place of the Swans at the moment. Yeah, that would certainly be a lot higher than I had them. I I had them in the the bottom four in the crystal ball piece we did in the preseason, which obviously doesn't always mean a lot because we look like fools a lot of the time by the end of the season, (laughs) but I had them in that lower bracket. But Look, I guess that a lot of the time when we suggest that they're going to drop or any team is going to drop is because we feel like they're going through that development phase and we look at all the, the kids that the Swans are bringing in and promoting. But someone we probably forget about a little bit and maybe underrate is, is Sam Naismith. He's obviously not a young kid, but he's been out of the game for a, a couple of years with that knee injury he suffered a while back. But he looks like he's going to be a really good in, Cal. Yeah, he was great in round one and look, a, a pivotal player for them in that victory against the Crows over at Adelaide um, Oval because you go into that game and you think, well, how, how's he going to fare against uh, Riley O'Brien, who was one of the up-and-coming and emerging ruckmen from 2019, as someone who sort of you know, really staked his claim as one of those um, ruckmen who were keen to break into the top rung. Well, Nate Smith went over and, and outplayed him on his home deck. So he had 28 hitouts and 11 disposals. And I thought it was pretty central to what the Swans are doing out of the midfield too. And the midfield... Um, brigade really outshone what the Crows could do. Obviously, the Crows brothers have Crouch, the Crouch brothers, Rory Sloan in his 200th game. So there's still some key names amongst that group. But I thought the Swans midfield completely outplayed them in that part of the ground. And Naismith was a key element to that. As you mentioned, the knee injuries have forced him to be sidelined since 2017 from a senior perspective. And look, he's 27 now and he, he's the tallest player on their list. So he, he adds a little bit of height around the ground where they probably haven't had that the past couple of years. So it's going to be fascinating to see um, you know, his impact going forward. They obviously chose him ahead of Callum Sinclair, who was an emergency for round one. So yeah, that's um, it's an interesting case and someone who has been forgotten for a while, while. And I know you've written about him a couple of times as well, Mark. But yeah, hopefully now he can and get a bit more of a, a run at it with his fitness back at full strength. Yeah, now obviously guys like Naismith, Buddy, 
um, Sam Reed, um, Josh Kennedy, all these guys are going to be really, really important in what happens over the next year or so for Sydney and guiding them through this transition period. But ultimately, they're going to be judged and how they're actually going to perform in the future is how good these kids become. Um, what You obviously are, are our draft guru and you, you see a lot of these kids come through. How do they stack up, do you think, as far as probably that under 23 group, if we go right up to that age, as far as the rest of the, the clubs go? Oh, they're right up there in terms of having the best under-23s in the competition. You, you reel off the names. Cal Mills. Look, I'm an unabashed fan of Cal Mills. I think that uh, sometimes his excellent work in defense can get overlooked because everyone wants to be a midfielder and everyone wants to see him play in the midfield, and I'm sure he could do that. But he's it's robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit too because he's so steady for them down back and he's tough. He makes good decisions. So, yeah, I think Mills heads that list. Uh, Will Haywood's in that group. Ollie Florent was great in round one and is a midfielder with class. Jordan Dawson's come from nowhere a little bit to be a real impact player. Tom Papley, we know his story and how damaging he can be up forward. Tom McCartan's another player who there's high hopes for. And Nick Blakey looks like being you know, a potential superstar, really, um, once his body gets up to speed with the AFL demands as well. So there's a group there of seven or eight names that are going to be key players for this club over the next six to seven years, you'd, you'd hope and expect. You know, Most of those guys are locked in for long-term deals. We'll get to Papley in a little bit too. But look, all that group makes them one of the more exciting under-23s in the competition. I think Brisbane probably have a fair few and a fair claim for that title as well. Um You'd have to say that Gold Coast, you know, take away um, some of the players at the back end of their list, but you know they've got a, a rich level of uh, of talent over the past three or four drafts as well that makes them a really exciting group too. But yeah, the Swans, when you mix those names with the older names, you'd hope that they're the brigade that's going to be pushing them up over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean the fact that you reeled off seven, eight names pretty quickly and easily. I mean that's a third of a team. So yep. if you can get, you know. Through even half of those turning into A graders and the rest, you know, B, B pluses, um, they're, they're going to be pretty good. And the other one I didn't mention there is Dylan Stevens too, who hasn't yeah. played yet at senior level. Obviously, he was the number five draft pick last year and the Swans' earliest pick who wasn't an academy player for a long, long time. Um, he's a wingman who I'd expect to be seeing a fair bit of um, senior action across this season, just didn't make it quite there in the final 22 uh, against the Crows but he's a star as well so you throw him into the mix too and there's a, a bit to work with yeah, you talk about loving Callum Mills and he's someone who gets talked about a lot in playing in defence is he going to become a full time midfielder that that seems like an endless debate but the other swan who's in a similar vein another one of those early academy picks is Isaac Heaney another one who, who's, who's thrived in two different positions and partly by necessity they've, they've needed him to be up forward and provide a bit of support when they've had injuries and Again, I, I I don't know where he ends up long term. It's it's an interesting one because he is quite good in both roles. But where do you see the Swans getting the most value out of Isaac Heaney? Well, while Buddy is unavailable, and hopefully he will be back at the end of uh, at the end of the the COVID nineteen break and shutdown period. But while he's unavailable, Heaney's basically playing as their their marking forward, isn't he? Mm. Because he's so good overhead, and we've seen that on numerous occasions. He was amazing in round one. He only had 16 touches, but it doesn't matter. It was the impact of them. Four goals with that. And look, I'd love to see him play a full year in the forward half. And and by full, I mean probably a 70-30 split. We know that he's going to be pushing into the midfield at different stages and be an impact player there, but I'd love to see what he could do and how many goals he could kick for the Swans. I wouldn't put a pass to him and kick 50 goals. You know, I'm not sure what you think, but if he played a full year uh, across that half forward role and deep forward, he's so smart. He's, he's a good kick. 
Um, he's powerful. He's tough. He's electric on the lead. He goes for the grabs. You know, I think there's a lot of strings to his bow that make him a really challenging player to man up on. So I, I love him as a, a deep forward. Look, I can see the appeal though because you know how, how good would it be to have two Isaac Handys, one in the middle and then one, one kicking it to the, the bloke leading out of the goal square. But at the moment, I think they've probably got enough, enough depth coming through that midfield brigade that you know we can keep Heaney forward and, and make him that damaging goal kicker. What do you think? Yeah, I just don't see him playing enough time forward to kick 50. I think that's probably a bit ambitious, but I think there's no doubt he could kick 40. I mean, that's that's about him. We're obviously a shortened season this year, but that's true. Yeah. Can get somewhere towards 40 around that sort of two goal a game mark. Um, so you know, mid to high 30s even. Um, I think that that'd be a really good result if he's still having his 15, 20 touches a week as well. I mean, that that's a you'd take that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And while we're on it, I mean, the buddy reliance I think is significant too. Uh, and this has been an issue for the Swans for a little while now um, as they've started to taper off in previous years and obviously last year we didn't see as much of Buddy as we would have loved to 10 games last year for 27 goals but he was never really quite at at full tilt then we hear about how he's going so well over summer and he's back to pre-season early and then in January uh, he has to go and undergo a knee sort of operation and which was set to wipe him out for at least the first month or so of the home and away season so I think the reliance is still there and I'm still wondering who that next key forward is and we're about to get to their, their contracts and what they do in the off-season. Maybe the answer is there. But, um, you know, Tom McCartan, for me, is always going to be that, that second, that, that follow-up sort of forward, the, the guy who leads up the ground and can set it up for guys a little bit closer to goal because he can use that running capacity that he does have. I'm not sure if he's generally the stay-at-home big goal kicker that um, they're going to have to find at some point. Yeah, you've, you've hinted at it, Cal, so let's move straight into him. Joe Danaher. He was obviously the the big uh, big talking point in last year's trade period. He ended up staying. Um, neither side went close to to budging on their demands. Um, no doubt that's going to fire up again as the months go on. Is he the answer? I mean, how, how does he fit in a Sydney forward line alongside Buddy Franklin? I think the key word you use there is fit. And if he is fit, then he fits. Um, they'll find a way for him to fit because. He's a star, Joe Danaher, when he's up and going. We saw that uh, 2018 season where he was just unstoppable, really, at stages. Uh, best and fairest at Essendon and All-Australian. Yeah, kicking goals from the wing almost at different stages. He's as high. You know, he can take huge marks and then you know, land on his feet and then turn around and swivel and kick a goal at ground level. So he's got all the tricks. The, the obvious question is his body. And the Swans clearly, particularly now that he's going to be missing at least basically two and a half years of footy, will want some some uh, some guidance and some clarity on whether he's going to be able to get back to his full fitness and full capacity with those groin issues that he's had to work through. Look, everyone you speak to at Essendon says they're going very, very, very conservatively with the, the Joe Danaher treatment. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be a fascinating story to see whether he puts his hand up, you know, in light of everything changing in footy at the moment um, and the potential for a lot changing in terms of the way lists are constructed as well post-season, whether he puts his hand up as a free agent and wants to go there again. They've still got their own sort of retention issue too. Will Tom Papley again request the trade after last year trying to get to the Blues and, and that one not going through? That ended up being tied into um, the Joe Danaher trade, didn't it? Because you know, the, the Swans weren't going to be budging on Papley if they didn't get Danaher across the line. And then Is there some any out way of... that Papley stays as well as Danaher coming in? Can you see any scenario? Yes, yeah, yeah, I can, I can. And Tom Papley's managed to get back to the club and be welcomed back and with open arms, and they they love him and they want him to stay. He's 
contracted there to the end of 2023. So I think there is a chance for that to happen. Plus, they were able last year to um, bring in a, a top-end draft pick for the first time in a long time that was off their choice, not tied to an academy or father-son or anything like that. So they've already got one of them in now. Maybe they'd be more willing to, if Essendon did force it into a trade and try and match a, a free agency deal, maybe they'd be more willing to do that and, and keep Papley as well. The added contracts at Sydney worth mentioning too. Co-captain Josh Kennedy, uh, so that's an interesting one. Still playing some pretty significant footy and a pretty key role for the Swans, so you'd expect that uh, he'd play on. Some interesting ones beyond beyond that, though. Matthew Ling, um, an unsighted first-rounder from a couple of years ago who I hope can get over his injuries and hopefully a turn of luck is in store for him because he can move and he can run. Lewis Melikin um, and Ben Ronk as well is a prospect to, you know, other other clubs might look at and say, is he gettable? Can we sort of shape him into a, a regular goal kicker in our forward line? But we know what he did across the past couple of years too as a, as a goal kicking forward. Yeah, Ronk and Ling are two of the ones that jump out for me. They're, they're fascinating. Ronk sort of come back to earth a little bit after that amazing start to his career. And, and Ling, we, we haven't seen at all at AFL level yet. So um, if they can get him up and going, that's, that'd be a really nice bonus. 